0: everybody and welcome to another special episode of the mountain bike podcast. Uh, this is episode number 50. So it's special for that. Yeah. Do I, are we supposed to give you like, there's like gold, silver anniversary things. What's the 50th one? I don't know. I think wood is 10 and we're coming Wood's up on our 10. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we'll just, Oh yeah. Whatever it is. Uh, we're not in the location. The mics. Mics might actually sound different right now. We're using we're our different mics traveling setup yes because we are not in the trainer road studio instead we're actually at worldwide cyclery we're in are we in newberry park california Yeah, newberry park and that voice you hear is jeff kaylee from worldwide cyclery how you doing man
1: good man thanks for having me on
0: this is the mountain bike podcast i i I know you know this but presented by worldwide cyclery Uh, we're stoked to be working with you guys on this uh, for a while, we hemmed and hawed on even con- on even taking sponsorship, but we've always liked what you guys do. And I feel like, oh, man, these guys are like as bike nerdy as we are. <laughs> so then in this case, maybe it's actually, you know, something that we can entertain and make something pretty cool out of it. So, so yeah, man, we're stoked to have you uh, introduce us really quick on how you got into riding, and then what in the world caused you to open up Worldwide Cyclery?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I uh, rode BMX as a kid Mm -hmm. and uh, got into mountain biking when I was 13 and fell in love with it because I rode motocross as well as a kid. So then when I hopped on a mountain bike, it was just this... Incredible combination of a BMX bike and a dirt bike, and I fell in love with it. Yeah, and started racing and uh, did downhill quite a bit, and then did Super D, which that's what it was. What enduro yeah. Yeah. was formerly Super D. Yeah, yeah. And I really enjoyed it, and worked in shops and tacked on some sponsors as a kid, and yeah, just absolutely fell in love with the sport and uh, spent a lot of years racing, and then. In my early 20s, I I saw a good opportunity that the industry was kind of lacking in as far as just multi-channel retail and e-commerce and kind of just lacking technology and stuff like that. So, yeah, I wanted to open up something unique that focused on what I liked, which was high-end mountain bikes and also bring in some technology to the mix there. So, yeah, that's how I got into it.
0: So... were you like a, were you a, a business major or something else or what, what, what caused you to get into? Cause I mean, in the end you guys are an online retailer, but a lot of logistics work and everything else like that. What caused you instead of just opening up a normal bike shop and everything else, like you said, there was an opportunity, but did you have any background in the business side of things?
1: Uh, I did not know. So I was a, just a high school graduate, didn't go to college, didn't go to business school or anything like that.
0: Same here, fist bump, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Me too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really was for me, I was always entrepreneurial as a kid. So I was selling all of my neighbor's stuff when I was a kid on eBay. It was consignment, (laughs) which was awesome. Like the profit from that was funding new bike parts and new dirt bike parts. (laughs) So I was, I was always doing, uh, just hustling and I loved it. And I love custom building bikes. I would take BMX bikes, uh, from Dan's comp and I would just buy the kits they would have. I would custom paint a frame with spray paint Mm. um, and electrical tape, but make it look really cool. And then I would sell that off on eBay or ride it myself or sell it to friends. So yeah, I I really enjoyed that part of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me too, it was like no business background, but uh, you know, working in a shop, racing, learning industry, understanding who the suppliers were, um, what the cool brands were, really knowing and loving the product myself. That was all beneficial knowledge to have, like when you open up a business in the bike industry. So that knowledge came into play for sure. And I think that, and then just sitting in front of the computer screen and learning everything I could, I think you can learn a lot if you just have the discipline to sit there and Google things and read them all day. And that's what I did. That's what I learned.
0: So true. There's so much information out there. Like it's, it's, I mean, like Stephen, you work in a slightly different world in the sense that you have to have, you know, accreditations yeah. and licenses and everything else in the engineering side of things. Yeah. Um, but in this flimsy world of business that, that, that us two work in over Mm -hmm. here, you know, it's like the wild west over here. And it's ever ever evolving too.
2: So it's hard to learn all you can in a school environment. It's smarter to do it outside. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I guess we should probably talk more about mountain bikes. We should, we should, yeah, we should do that. Um, so, uh, once again, this is the mountain bike podcast. You can go to mtbpodcast.com. You can check out the store there. You can go there if you need bike parts. This is how you do it. You go to mtbpodcast.com and then you'll see a worldwide cyclery part, or actually you'll see a spot that says bike parts and accessories. Click on that and then you can get them from worldwide cyclery. And we actually get a cut of that and we take that cut and we put it right back into the show for all of you guys. So
2: like going places and riding bikes, yeah, or recording podcasts in special places.
0: Yes. We still haven't gotten our checks from MTV podcast yet. Have we Stephen? We don't pay ourselves. I yet. don't think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a Porsche McCon in my driveway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same here. So, um, in this case, basically, uh, go there, order parts, get some swag, all that sort of stuff that keeps the show going. We've got some other, um, opportunities for that coming too. So stay tuned on all that. But before we get any further, uh, we should probably get into the news. News.
1: News team assemble. All
0: right. First thing that we're going to talk about is EWS round two happened in Colombia, Manizales, Colombia, and that's like polar opposites from what we had in Chile in the anti-grip. Probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And remember this isn't where we just like recap the results and everything else for you guys. We'll just talk about what we found interesting, selfish. I know, but hopefully we can learn from it in some respect. Do you follow Enduro racing?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Not, okay. not super close, but I, you know, at least as much as I can on YouTube and Instagram and what pink bike posts out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what you said about it being, it's super D, but like, yeah, 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 super D
1: evolved is Enduro. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, um, so it's this, like, uh, it's interesting. So Sam Hill is destroying it again. He won again. Um, a guest to the series, Marcelo Gutierrez, he's a downhill rider from Manizales. He got second, um, on the day, 47 seconds back. Um, the, the interesting thing though, is when you look at this, like the results, if it's muddy, you actually see a lot of guys like Greg Callahan, for example. He starts to come up, everything else. You see riders kind of rise to the top. If it's dry, you see a different crop of riders. God. Sam Hill still remains at the top, uh, despite it all. But this is something interesting. Like, like I don't think, or I think that we're seeing a big difference between riders that come from the States being able to handle wet conditions and those that don't, like those from Europe and everything else that, that end up riding in that mud. Mm-hmm. We're at a huge disadvantage with that. We are like, you just
2: don't have that terrain. We don't, it's West Virginia has yeah, a little bit of that, right? North Carolina, maybe yeah. trails, Pacific
0: uh, but, Northwest has some, but it's not really muddy as no. much as, I mean, it's, it, it, that dirt absorbs so well. Exactly. Why, why do you think we suck so bad us Americans?
1: Uh, (laughs) that's that's a tough question I mean I grew up in California riding dust all the time and then I spent a year actually with the Malali brothers out east in Pennsylvania and I did a bunch of downhill races out there that year and it was muddy as ever. And yeah. those two boys just crush it in the mud. They are so good and so talented. So if you remember, uh, I think it was a few years back, the World Cup in Australia, it poured rain. It was muddy as ever. Yeah. Um, Nico got a podium there. Um, huh. And he's just an amazing mud rider. So he was good. Uh, then you look at Gwen, right? Phenomenal racer and rider from California. Mm-hmm. Still manages to put some good stuff together in the mud in the as mud. well. So yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a, an excuse. I mean, sure, we don't have as much mud out here as all the you know Brits do over there in the UK so that could be a reason
0: yeah it's kind of interesting man it would be it would be it's cool to see it change per the conditions and you see different riders moving up I just hope that this year EWS isn't consistently wet like it was last year yeah Yeah. um the first round though was an urban downhill it It was was, the
2: the prologue was awesome did you see Jimmy Smith's wall ride by the way
0: Fuji bikes I saw a number of them. I don't remember his specifically. Was it big? It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw one guy came came off the wall ride and there was like a bent curb and uh, bent is only a a curb can get in South America. And he like basically came down and just chain meat curb directly on top (laughs) of that thing. Yeah. It was pretty rough, but it was like a tamed down from what you'd see from like Balparaiso or the other like downhills that you see. It was like a tamed down version of that. Um, somebody got find time and I can't remember what they got or they got find time for something, but people were like, they had this chicane. And I thought in my mind, like, why aren't people just hopping the bales? Because like they had these imposed chicanes going down the hills. I was thinking maybe mini bales. bales. Yeah. 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 And I was thinking maybe it's, you know, maybe it's illegal, but there's some dudes that were hopping the bales and it was saving them a bunch of time. So it was clever. I think the takeaway from that is talk to your race organizers and actually find yeah. out what's illegal beforehand. Cause you might be able to save a lot of time. And, that's, and that's the thing with
2: EWS <laughs> though, is it, if it's not taped off, you can't do it. But yeah. technically the air above the tape <laughs> exactly. is not included. clue. Get into like property ownership, rights yeah. <laughs> that way, yeah. right? Just ask the uh, FAA.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cecile Ravenel still won the women's side of things. Um, I don't think she's doing every EWS round, so we'll see different winners if that's the case. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, she, she won by a minute, um, over, over Isabel Cordorier, I believe that's how you say her name. Um, and Katie Winton, I saw videos and I don't know if her feet ever touched the pedals. She's kind of tiny, yeah. and she was just going through these gigantic muddy ruts, and she was just <laughs> just flintstoning everywhere. It was yeah. amazing, and she still got third. So, did you see any of the trails that were they were riding on this?
1: Yeah, I saw that one clip of that super steep downhill and that huge G out at the bottom, and everyone yeah. was just crashing, like that where was, the bridge
0: was, was. Yeah, and see Marco, right. Marco Osborne, friend of the podcast, almost <sighs> destroyed himself before that bridge. Yeah, took.
2: that sounds like a race.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marco's <laughs> crazy man. Yep. Um, so, anyways, that that was like total polar opposites. And if you want to see what good riders do, look at that footage and analyze it, you'll be able to see how calm and how smooth somebody like Sam Hill is and where he's looking. That was a big thing that I noticed. If you look where he, where his eyes are, when you're watching all that, because then it's slippery and you're scared and you're sliding, you tend to look where you shouldn't go, Mm -hmm. but he's just fixed on where he needed to go, riding flats and flat out and doing his thing. So pretty crazy. Um, but cool to see next bit of news. A bike came out. A a bike did come out. I think Kurt Gensheimer, the the angry single speeder, is going to be excited about this one. Exactly. The Trek Full Stash, they're calling it, Mm -hmm. because it's full suspension. The stash was a hardtail, but it was 29 plus hardtail. Yes. This is a 29 plus full suspension. 130 front and rear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about it? That's a big bike.
2: <laughs> that's a big bike with a lot of rotating mass, and I think it'll haul a lot of fishing reels around <laughs> on your backpacking adventures. Yeah,
0: if you're, yeah, yeah. yeah okay,
2: that's what I get it's it. For. Not yeah. a Shimano drivetrain, i Yeah. I'm just saying that's <laughs> yeah, a Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's, I think that they have it specced with a 180 mil front rotor. That seems like a bad mistake. I don't know.
2: I think it needs a 203 front rotor. Yeah, or just
0: put on some like dual Brembo's from a Ducati or something on the front. That's a lot of, like you said, rotating mass. It's a heavy bike. Yeah. Have you ridden a plus bike, Jeff? What are your thoughts on them?
1: Yeah, I rode a pivot switchblade with the 27.5 plus, and I thought it was really fun. I'm not like a biased bike person where I dislike bikes for one reason or another I think they're all pretty much fun as long as they work yeah, and yeah. Uh, I had a great time on it I rode out in Pennsylvania and it was loose and slippery and the thing stuck to the ground like crazy and it was fun. I mean sure it was a little sluggish on the uphills compared to something, or a little less playful sometimes but it was incredibly fun. I really enjoyed it. I've not ridden a 29 plus though. I don't really see much it's of a reason big. for that. <laughs> very big Yeah 29
0: by 3.0 tires Yeah, uh, They said that they made the, the tires on this are a little bit more aggressive than previous ones they said. Yeah which probably helps, uh, the review, um, which, uh, Mike Casmer did the review on pink bike, at least that I'm looking at now. Um, he said that, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. The traction's incredible. That sort of a thing. But he did mention that as soon as you start pushing it really hard, he's like the, the lack of precision becomes apparent mm-hmm. in the bike. Yeah. Whether that's because of the extra volume in the tires or the full suspension or the, just the amazing you know, momentum, the thing probably has. Yeah. I could totally see that. Um, it probably dumbs down a lot of technical trail, though. Like if you're mm-hmm. if you're like a noob rider, I bet you would enjoy. Or if you just ride in te- terrain where you never feel comfortable because you feel like it's too chunky or something else, I think plus bikes are awesome yeah, for I, that. I
1: agree for sure. It,
0: it's like amazing, right? How much it smooths things out and the traction you have.
1: Yeah. For, for a novice rider, uh, that's the way to go. You have yeah. way more traction. It's just stable and cushier and just easier bike to ride.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see though. Good on you Trek for doing weird things with bikes because sure. these weird things will hopefully then become normal things and actually tires and wheels or something else will get engineered around the whole thing and it'll be even faster. So, um, yeah, interesting to see. Uh, last bit of news that we'll cover for this kind of, we're going to get into something else too with you, Jeff, but, um, the formula introduced some spacers, which tokens rock shocks has tokens that you can put into the fork that basically take up volume mm-hmm. of your positive air spring. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And then that, I don't know these things. And then that affects the way the suspension works formula did so. And it looks like they basically just have foam cylinders. Yeah. So it's, it's explain what it's, it's closed cell foam.
2: So air doesn't actually go inside of this foam. It takes up volume that would otherwise be filled with air. Gotcha. The thing is, as you compress the air, your spring rate increases Mm -hmm. because you're putting that air under pressure. Makes sense. Well, what you're doing with... The foam is the foam itself now is under pressure as well, and it compresses, but it compresses at a different rate than the air does. Huh. So what it's doing is it's basically taking your ramp rate of your spring on the air spring, and it's actually lowering it <laughs> so that it ramps slower. So you don't get as harsh of a bottom out um, meaning that it doesn't get as stiff as a as a cross country fork does cuz let's be honest formula just does cross country stuff they don't do anything yep. else yeah um so basically this makes it so that you have a lot more usable uh i guess uh travel and it's more plush through its spring but it still ramps slightly like an
1: air spring should
0: interesting are are you a tokens guy do you run tokens in your forks usually
1: yeah i do typically run tokens and then volume spacers in the rear shock as well um i like it i like having the suspension nice and progressive like that and i think this is a a pretty cool idea especially looking at the little graph that's there pictured on the pink bike article
0: yeah it seems super simple right like like it's just a foam little piece but that's actually a really clever usage of it like it is there's no point in making them just plastic and and static like exactly yeah huh it's i could really see this changing things for xc forks Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, clever stuff good job formula um these go in any fork though too right like you don't just have to put them in formulas or are they formula only that would suck if you had to do formula only
2: I actually don't know I don't know what they're gonna do but they, these I know they won't fit on a Fox
0: yeah, uh, yeah.
2: I, I i don't know how they would actually work but yeah yeah,
0: yeah it's it says that it fits any 35 millimeter air fork so Fox or sorry rock shock should be good yeah um, yeah I don't know I, I assume it could probably be easily modified and, and switched over so Interesting stuff with uh, enough
2: force. It'll fit in a fox. For sure, <laughs> Anything can happen. Um, uh,
0: the next thing I wanted to talk about, uh, is we didn't cover this because we had a, a brief period where we we're doing plenty of different things, but, um, the new lyric came out and we kind of, we, we've briefly touched on it. You guys actually just had a video, which you guys are pumping out videos in an insane rate, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. We're trying it, hard. Uh, yeah. It's pretty impressive to see. So, um, understanding what goes into those YouTube videos, it's a lot of work. Uh, but you, have you tried the lyric or have you have the folks at the, at the shop, the guys here tried it and do you, what what are your thoughts on it? Is it a 36? Like, is it on par with the 36 finally?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it is on par with a 36. It's pretty awesome. We were lucky enough that uh, SRAM was able to give us one of them to test before the launch. Nice. Uh, so thank you SRAM for considering us cool enough to do that. <laughs> and yeah. we loved it. Um, I got a little bit of time on it. Liam here is our head mechanic and one of the best riders here. He rode it a bunch and he actually got out there with Duncan Riffle, if you know him. He's mm-hmm. I think head of marketing for SRAM, mm-hmm. a former pro downhill racer. Yep. So Liam went out to ride with Duncan and test out that new fork. And cool. They, you know, Liam's over the moon about it and And I thought it was great when I wrote it and I was really impressed. And I do think it's a 36 contender. I mean, Hmm. a lot of the reason there is the adjustability, right? You actually now have a separate high and low speed compression adjustment. And so for those who want to tune that and get it really dialed in, that's huge. And that fork's awesome for that.
0: That's been the big difference between them is, I mean, yeah, like, honestly the one millimeter in stanchions doesn't make a whole lot of difference. No. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of diameter that you have, that's why it's called the 36 36 millimeters versus 35 on the rock shock stuff. But the, the big thing is just that ability to dial in separate high speed and low speed. Yeah. High speed, meaning think about it like high speed as the fork travels through High the shaft travel.
2: speed, not high velocity
0: of the bike. Yeah. Cause yeah. you can go very fast yeah. and do very slow yeah. stuff anyway. Um, but so high shaft speed, right and then low shaft speed. You can adjust those independently. And I'm sure you're thinking right now, like choppy little bumps coming into a turn, high speed stuff. And then if you have a G out or anything else like that, or you want more support, that's where you're gonna be looking at your, your low speed compression. So being able to tune those separately is awesome. It's good to see that they finally have it. Does it come in a color beside that red?
1: Yeah, it does. It'll okay, be good. in black as well. <laughs> okay,
0: yeah. Yeah, because I looked at that fork and I was like, great, yeah, had... no. I'm not it comes good. in black and loud. Yeah, like yeah, fox yeah, with exactly. their orange. It's bold, but it's very bold. Yeah, I'm not into that. Um, you have another fork here. We are actually looking at it the the so helm, the like cane creek makes the helm fork. And I think the Conrad edition is called mm-hmm. is the gold one. Yep. And we just saw, uh, I think, a four or five. It's a beautiful. Or five. It was an, SB an SB five. Oh, that was a five. Five. And it had that fork, and it's got a gold crown, and then it's mm. all black. And then he had gold Industry Nine hubs, I think, on there too. Yeah. Three, Bunch beautiful spokes too. It was great. How Eagle, does the how does XX1 the X one gold that too? Yeah. 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 How does the helm compare to the Rock Shocks Fox stuff in your opinion? You know, like, I, or what, what it's how is it different, I guess, is the best way to say yeah,
1: it. Yeah. I don't have a ton of time on the helm, so mm-hmm. I can't give like a super honest review on that one. I mean, it absolutely looks gorgeous. It has a cool axle design. And Kane Creek has been in the suspension game for a long time. Yeah. And initial oppression impressions from riding the thing. It works really well. I don't have, again, a long-term review on it. Liam would probably be a better person to ask on it, but it's a pretty new fork too, right? It hasn't really been out that long. I don't think there's a ton of people using it just yet. So I think that'll, you know, the next year or so people will have a much better review and a comparison when it comes to that fork versus the other contenders. And
0: they have an air and a coil version of the fork. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's got a, Beefy cross member across from the lowers, right? Oh, yeah. We were checking that out. It is substantial. It definitely is. Like it makes a thirty six feel like look underbuilt. Yeah. You know? Um it's yeah, interesting fork. That then we have MRP. Do you guys sell a lot of MRP ribbons too?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. I wouldn't say we sell a lot of them, but we definitely yeah. sell them. Yeah, they're they're a cool fork.
0: Yeah, and that one comes in in coil, and that one comes in air now too. Like the fork game is getting busy now. And even MRP is yeah.
2: doing. Obviously, they're doing foxes. Um air spring assemblies, they will actually do custom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, what is it? The ramp control. Ramp control.
0: So there, and therefore it comes with ramp control, comes with, you can adjust positive and negative chambers independently. It has bleed valves on the lowers. It has like a bunch of features. Um, it's kind of cool. So, um, anyways, yeah, it's interesting to see if you had to put a fork on your bike and this does not represent any opinions of worldwide cyclery. This is Jeff. If you had to put a fork on your bike right now and it was in the long travel side, what would you do? Lyric 36, but let's just assume a helm, even though they don't make it yeah. 29 yet, um, but let's just assume a helm. Which would you put on or a ribbon?
1: I would I would go Lyric. Yeah, yeah. I like that thing. I like how it feels and I like the look and I'm just kind of a rock shock fan too. I think everything I've written from them feels good. And I mean, I, I love them all. I mean, all the contenders right now, all those forks are awesome. Like you, if you buy any of them, you're going to be stoked. They all work incredibly well. But for me personally, I'll toss a Lyric on there. I think they look good and I love the new adjustability on the new version.
0: Yeah,
2: we finally gotten to a point in forks where it's not which one sucks the least. It's yeah, which one, exactly right. You know, there's really no, you have to split hairs to find a better fork. Yeah, you do. Yeah.
0: yeah so, let's get into that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with that, Steven, let's, uh, and Jeff, let's get into the questions. Question.
2: It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. <laughs>
0: All right. First one is from Doug. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. And as I catch up with the back catalog, I'm learning loads from your guys' nerdy MTB tech obsession. Five stars. Thanks, man. Uh, you can leave those reviews on iTunes. Uh, yes. If it's not five stars, just let us know first, and then we can hopefully change something.
2: Send you a sticker or something.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're not buying reviews. We should be clear on this. He says, I have a question related to the road trip episode. I'm about to move to near the Rockies in Canada from Scotland, a land of tiny vehicles, potholes, and rain. He says, my question is what kind of massive North American vehicle do you find works best for biking? I have three small kids to fit in, but also want to transport a fat bike, mountain bike, and skis with ease. Should I be looking at a full-size SUV, a Tundra or F-150? For those that don't know, those are full-size trucks, like uh, uh, consumer trucks here in the U.S., um, he says, should I use that full size pickup as my everyday vehicle, or do I need to convince my wife that I need two cars, an everyday four by four, and a weekend vehicle like a small RV? He says, I may need to leave my bike in the car whilst I work as well. So this has me leaning toward a pickup with a cover for the bed. Is there some better solution I've not considered? What would you guys choose? Cheers and thanks for your advice this one's exciting. What? Well, <laughs> Steven's very into cars, for those yeah. that don't know. You have worked in the car industry came for years. From the racing industry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what would you do? So if Doug owns Scotland,
2: yeah <laughs> okay. the country. Yeah, of course, yeah. Then you just go to Colorado and you buy an Earth Roamer. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, what are those?
2: Earth Roamer is based on a Ford F five fifty
0: chassis. I didn't even know they made that.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. and it's a big giant diesel four-door. Um it's got a six-inch air ride. lift kit. And then it's got this like 23 foot box on the back that's certified (laughs) to negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. And it's everything. It's diesel hydronic heating in the flooring. It's a diesel induction cooktop. The thing's got granite and leather. It's uh, John Mayer owns one, and it was eight hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bet he bought that for a weekend. Yeah, yeah probably yeah, he yeah. did to
1: impress some girl. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're are you really expensive at one now, Jeff. Yeah, I, I just googled that as you said it, and those things are incredible. But <laughs> I, yeah. They look extremely expensive. Yes, they
2: do. Um, so, but. So the real side of me says, obviously, you're not buying an Earth Roamer.
0: Because um, <laughs> he probably doesn't own Scotland. Probably doesn't. Yeah, own yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. not. Um, I
2: would, honestly, if you pick like a, like a Tundra, an F-150, a GMC Sierra, something like that mm-hmm. is a full-size half-ton, great, perfect. Mm-hmm. You can also go to the SUV side of things. Yeah. You know, uh, Toyota Sequoia. Yeah. Um, if you want to go a little bit more posh, you can do the Lexus LX 570. You can do a Chevy Suburban or GMC Suburban. Q7. You know, Audi Q7 is a little smaller, though. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, you're not yeah. going to be hauling bikes inside that and no, hauling your kids. Not at all. Um, but the worst case, I mean, if you wanted to, you could do an Audi Q7 and then you could get a small travel trailer. Yeah. And tow that. You know, get the Q7 TDI.
0: I'm a big fan. So, like uh, a good friend of mine, actually the CEO of Trainer Road, I'm sure he listens, he's listening to this episode too, Nate Pearson. He has a Tundra, just a, the double cab Tundra, the biggest one you yeah. can get.
2: That would be the Crew Max,
0: not the, the double cab. Sorry, whatever it is. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, he has multiple rows of seats or two of them. And uh, he has two kids, so not three kids. And that one works. I think that if you have three kids, then you have to get to the point where you have to introduce that third row. Yes. And that's where trucks start to get complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I would vote, get a big SUV. Yep. And then have, then you have the flexibility of running a cool out on there. When you need to go to work and you need to car- put your bike inside, it's easy with a bigger SUV, just lay down the seats and put them in. Yeah. Um, if you don't have an SUV, then then I guess you could just get anything with a truck or a trailer or a car or anything else that you want to want to pick. But... I say go with a bigger SUV.
2: Yeah. And and honestly, you can also even, I try not to be a dad here, but you can look at like a Toyota Sienna, like the minivans those things you all wheel. I know but just <laughs> think, about it, think about it minivans have gotten pretty cool in the last few years for being minivans true first of all but yep. they're also all pretty much available in all wheel drive now yep it's true. you can all get a two inch receiver on all of them yep um, and so you can haul bike racks um, all of the tons of room for storage inside of them oh so for sure that's, that's another option I'd rather him be in an SUV because you know
0: yeah I minivans
2: mean, are weird your soul you know. dies when you
0: buy a minivan yeah. a little bit of your soul the, the interesting thing though you bring up a good point they all have lay flat seats so you can have like tons of cargo room, exactly. vertical cargo room. I know we rent minivans a lot of the time when I travel for work and we have a bunch of bikes and stuff. We rent minivans commonly yeah. because they're they're good for carrying that sort of stuff and people. Yeah. What would you or what do you what's your your what's your rig as as the bros would say?
1: Yeah, so I used to have a Toyota 4Runner. I yeah. loved that thing. Mm-hmm. I could put a bike inside of it. I could sleep inside of it and I really enjoyed it. I eventually got sewn so into four by fouring and I tried to drive it across this river and sank it. And that's a whole nother story. But, uh, but <laughs> Sounds I like a It's a forerunner story. not a boat. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I learned that lesson okay, the hard good, way. Yeah. Um, I have a Tacoma now <laughs> and nice. I, I absolutely love that thing. So, and I've seen a, uh, sequoia right the bigger one right built mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. with yeah. like a good bumper and four by four style tires on it and yeah. those look awesome um but one thing you guys didn't mention what about sprinter vans right like the smaller ones the bigger ones yeah we
0: those neglected look, that those are, those, but are, kinda, those are
1: pretty popular in the mountain I'm, bike world i'm kind of over the whole
2: hashtag van life thing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but i see that it's for a daily vehicle i don't think it would be the wisest option it's still True. an option you know yeah. but because then you're talking a four-wheel drive sprinter van because he's going to be in the Canadian yeah, yeah. Rockies, so he's probably going to be needing all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. So that was part of why I omitted that, is now you're talking sixty to $70,000, and then True. you still have to outfit it. Yeah. with gear and stuff to haul your bikes around. So. Not that an
0: Audi Q7 is cheap either. No, that's true. But um, but the one thing I would say about Sprinter vans, and everybody that has a van that's listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Reliability is a pain with a Mercedes Sprinter van. And
2: the oil change is $350.
0: Yes, it is not. And then that's you crazy. have to fill up, if it's a diesel, then you have to go and fill up with their- have To put P in your their, tank. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the taurine, right, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, the DEF. Yeah. DEF, whatever. It is. Yes, yes. Um, so you have to like. There, there's a lot of stuff. The, the van life is not as luxurious as we all think it is, uh, and and uh, there it's a cool novelty. Yes, there are people that live in vans continually, but if you follow somebody with a van life thing, just wait a year and then check in on it. I bet they don't live in a van anymore. So, <laughs> and if you I'm wait a say.
2: year and they still do, then wait another year and we guarantee they'll be out of
0: it. Yes. Yeah, so and maybe they're just, maybe they're just the type of person that can continue living in a van. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. like Matt Foley from SML. Yeah. 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 The Government cheese. <laughs> he lived live in a van down by a river. Yeah. All right. Um, next question is from Dave. He says lately, I've been taking more photos on rides with my iPhone. And he says gravel and mountain bike rides mainly. And I'm curious if you had a recommendation for a better camera that works well while riding. I've heard good things about the Rico GR two and the Sony RX 100. For example, mainly I want something lightweight, easy to grab and shoot that takes great shots. Um, so you guys at worldwide cyclery, you actually, the f- first way I found out about you guys is I was like, Whoa, this, these guys have stunning photography. Um, do you guys, Is there like a resident hipster that carries his camera with him on the rides here?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say there's a resident hipster that has a camera all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I personally am not talented with photography or creative design or any of that stuff. A while yeah. back, we brought on a guy, Michael, to the team, and he's the result of all those gorgeous Instagram photos. Yeah. And then Raymond came on, and he is a brilliant artist, and he, he'd he probably be your resident hipster. You could okay, call yeah, him that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he crushes it with photography. So, man, those would be the guys ask about cameras, but yeah, yeah they take good photos. It's not, not my realm of expertise at all.
0: Steve, even bugs me about this camera nerdy stuff. He talks about car things and engineering things all the time. And Mm -hmm. I talk about camera things.
2: Um, I have an iPhone seven plus. I take really sweet pictures with (laughs) it. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Um, it has portrait mode, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That always, that always turns out great. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to this whole and call me a camera snob, but I do not agree with, you don't need a DSLR anymore. You don't need a good camera cause the iPhone is plenty, uh, a good camera now. And That's I don't agree good. with that. No, you know, I don't either. Not even though camera. I don't own a good camera. Yeah. It uses software to try to get around that, but it's not good. Um, so yeah, I, I feel you a hundred percent. I've actually carried and shot the Rico GR two and I have a Sony RX 100 mark three and I've carried Fuji, geez, the X T 100 or X 100. I think I've carried and a few other ones. I've, I've, I've played around with a bunch of them. I have even carried a a seven R two on a ride before. So yeah, the seven R two. Yeah. So lots of cameras, big ones to small ones. And your guest, Dave, the best one, Dave, this is Dave from gravel Stoke. He has mm-hmm. some awesome stuff. You should follow him on, on Instagram. Yeah, at- Gravel Stoke. Mm-hmm. RX100, man. I think it's the best one to get.
2: That's um, the one that we always do on our rides.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sony RX100, I've fallen on it a bunch, and the thing keeps on ticking. Uh, it's a one-inch sensor, and this is going to get super camera nerdy, people, but, but just bear with me. So basically, the, the big things that matter with these compact cameras is you're really the, the sensor and then the lens that it has. Cause you can't remove the lens on these little things. They're fixed lenses or they're a zoom, but it's just what comes with it. You can't take lenses off and on. So the RX 100 has a one inch sensor, which isn't huge, but it also isn't very small. It's bigger than something that people might have, people might have heard of called micro four thirds, which all that means is that your image is going to be able to take in more light, more information, and thusly produce a better image. So if, if that makes sense, yes, it does. so the Ricoh GR two has a bigger sensor. It has one called APSE. It's bigger than an inch sensor. So you're going to get even a better quality image. However, the things that I would mark the Ricoh GR two down on is video quality, the RX 100, the new one does, four, does, uh, does 4k and it's very, very good video camera has really good image stabilization in there too. On the RX 100, the Ricoh GR two does not. Also, I've found that so like when you shoot with these nice cameras, and the RX100, for example, it's a thousand-dollar camera. You can find the previous versions. Like I would not buy the Mark One or Two. I would buy, buy the Mark Three, Four, or Five. You can find the Mark Three for like three hundred and fifty bucks if you're lucky on eBay, though. So that's pretty cheap. Um, it doesn't do 4K, but it does everything else. But these cameras, um, they spit out. You can shoot in JPEGs which are like the normal picture files that we see on the internets. Mm -hmm. Or you can deal with something that you may have heard of called a raw file, which basically just stores way more information. So then when you edit, you can do more with it. You can, if a picture looks like black, and then you can pull out the blacks and get more detail out of them. Or if it looks like overblown and white, you can get more detail out of that. And I feel like the RX100s raw files are better than what you get from the Ricoh GR2s. So
2: just got to be careful of Salmonella Yes, okay, yeah. with the raw files.
0: <laughs> yes. Raw files. Exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, the RX100, it fits perfectly in a Jersey pocket. If you're that type of guy, it's not that heavy. Um, it has a little pop-up viewfinder. That's really, really good. Um, it's a killer camera and I think more people should consider carrying a nice camera like that because you get to capture the memories and enjoy them a little better. So, and
2: I use that one day. Not knowing how to use a camera, and I took a really cool picture of my dog with it. Yeah, you were taking. Yeah, it's it was, like it was great. Yeah, actually, and, I took good pictures of you too the day that we did the yeah, Tahoe ride. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't even know how to use a camera. Easy to use though. Right. It's not like a complex camera. It's not like a a big cameras. You, when you pay a photographer and you all wear like white shirts and denim and you stand in the leaves and take a family photo, it's not like complex like that. No, I didn't even have
2: to lay down on the ground. at all.
0: (laughs) No, you didn't. Yeah. No, no no white shirt and denim required. So, um, yeah, RX 100 man, it's a killer camera. There are other options out there, but I do feel that's the best one. Um, and then a bonus question from him. He says on the gear side, I'm not sure if you guys have yet discussed oval chain rings. We have have a lot. He says, I recently got a set of two by absolute black oval chain rings for my gravel bike and have noticed much smoother cadence. And it feels like I'm more efficient with the pedal stroke. Do you guys have any thoughts or experience with these things? So these are not narrow wide, by the way, absolute black makes narrow wide and non narrow wide oval rings. Uh, have you, do you guys sell absolute black rings? Yeah, we do. I have, and what have you ridden one? An oval ring?
1: Uh, I haven't ridden the absolute black one. I do have a wolf tooth oval ring on my bike right now and have kind of stuck with it ever since I tried it for the first time.
0: Why'd you go oval or why'd you stick with it?
1: Uh, when I tried it, the, the wolf tooth one, I think they might make a a couple different ovalities now, but the original one is, was not that aggressive and I wrote it and you couldn't really tell a huge difference, but the little things that I liked were just sort of that dead zone spots. So like if you had a back pedal on a climb or even just like long, like you're riding back to your, you know, your truck after a long ride on the road, I definitely, it just feels better. I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I think what made me go to it was Cedric Gracia. He wrote an article about, you know, it just helps you all the, he wrote all the different benefits, and I thought, you know what? That's a guy I trust and I believe, and he's, yeah, yeah. you know, a former downhill racer and rides enduro too, and he's always been super fit. So that review stuck with me and made me try it, and then I loved it, and just never really went back.
0: Yeah. You have you ridden oval, Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. Never
1: ridden oval. Yeah. So I I had
0: oval on my ASR. Um, it's gone now. Mm-hmm. It's it's in a different place. Um, it's it's gone to a new owner. I. I think that any claims that a company makes for oval in terms of biomechanical efficiency are bunk, uh, because your body adapts and changes as it needs to. Uh Um, but I do believe that there are benefits for oval on mixed surfaces, meaning that if you put this on your cross bike like this, I think it's a great option because it'll help you maintain traction because theoretically, depending on the ovality, but absolute blacks ovality, it should actually smooth out the torque delivery to the rear wheel because you aren't even in the torque application from your body, but the delivery to the rear wheel because of the ovality would be smoother if that makes sense. So I, I agree with, with absolute blacks ovality and the usage of it for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also noticed it on bikes that like to Bob on suspension. It can be helpful with that because once again, it just keeps more even chain tension uh, throughout the whole thing, which
2: also helps increase the life of said chain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that's so true. There's, too.
2: there's lots of benefits to it in that sense. And that's, I don't like the biomechanics marketing. Right. I think it's all about torque delivery.
0: Yep. And, and absolute black, those things last forever. I am so impressed. Like they did you just make a sandlot reference? I did for okay. forever. Yeah. Okay. That, it's amazing how long those things last. Yeah. Um really impressed with how good those those chain rings last. So um, Christian's question. He says, Hey guys, thanks for taking the time to read this. I have some down evil questions. I've never been, but plan to change that this year as do I Stephen. Yeah, <laughs> I still didn't go this year. <sighs> <laughs> he says I'm six, five, that's tall and 240 pounds. I recently picked up a 2017 Tallboy CXXL that I use for my rides around the Folsom Lake area. So for those unfamiliar with this region. It's, it's uh, a lot of like kind of like tighter rolling hills and the, with like flatter sections maybe, but it's a lot of like r- tighter rolling hills, I guess. And we're talking
2: about Folsom yes. specifically. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yep. Um, and it's like uh, punctuated by chunk, I mm-hmm. would say. But Little it's
2: bits not, of chunk here and there, but it's a very smooth, smooth area for trails.
0: Cool. So if you live in a region like that, this may be, apply to you. If not, well, keep listening. Hopefully it helps. He says, um, I've known about Downeyville for about 15 years and was told rent a bike. Don't bring your own. How true does this ring these days? Or did it ever ring true? My biggest concern is getting in over my head on a trail that my bike isn't up to tackling. Are my concerns valid or should I head up there and party? As he says, also can you suggest a good route or routes for a first timer? Keep up the killer work. I'm almost caught up with all the back episodes and he says that he loves that He can listen with his kids in the car. Good, good, good. That's intentional. Awesome. Uh, Steven,
2: I really think you should just go take your tall boy up there and I'll tell you your your routes just book a shuttle with Yuba expeditions you're gonna have really awesome dudes and ladies shuttling you that Mm -hmm. run their bike shop that do everything you can rent a bike from them but why. Because if you break it, you're going to end up buying a second bike. Just take yours, (laughs) and if you break it, you broke yours at least, you know? Um,
0: And I don't think it's a bike-breaker place necessarily. No, it's not. It's not anymore. Maybe Um, back in the day it was, but terrains evolved and bikes have evolved. So if you've never
2: been to Downeyville, the first thing that I would recommend doing is is book a shuttle with Yuba Expeditions. They're going to take you up to the top of Packer Saddle, and you can do one of two things from the top. You can either do the classic downhill, which is going to be Butcher Ranch, Third Divide, first divide back into town or you can take the top end of the cross country race loop which is going to take you down sunrise and out to baby heads okay baby heads is a little chunky it's uh, literally (laughs) named because there's just nothing but loose six to eight inch boulders gotcha and um but there's a nice smooth well there's a smooth ish <laughs> <Okay. laughs> section of that Jeep double track that you can go down, and then you you go down Baby Heads, then Polly Creek, then Lower Butcher Ranch, third divide, first divide. So it's just more pedaling. Trail names, okay. Um, but it's the two classic trails. If you've never been, those are probably what you should start with. Cool. And,
1: okay. and bring your bike. Have Just you go. been to Downeyville, Jeff? I have, and I love that place. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's such a good place.
0: It's like right in our backyard. Yeah. Man, that's the place to be. Uh, next one from Amanda. She says, your podcast has convinced me to try structured training with a power meter to ensure I have the best time on an upcoming six consecutive day mountain bike trip in the Alps. That sounds amazing.
2: Do you need friends to go with you? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Amanda. Yeah. It seems that the most convenient and cost effective way of doing it is to use power meter pedals, a regular trainer and a spare rear spare rear wheel with a slick tire. That said, what pedals and trainer would you recommend, including older models that I could pick up on eBay? Thanks in advance. Um, do you guys sell many trainers?
1: Yeah. In the winter season and fall and winter we do. Absolutely. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to see. I, I, with trainer road, our focus is to shift people from thinking that trainers are a bad weather substitute and get them thinking like this, that it's the best way to train, right? Like get your training and done less time, more focused, more productive, and then you get out and you can enjoy riding. So more and more mountain bikers are using trainers. Um, the power meter pedals thing is interesting. Garmin vectors used to not be great in the beginning. They're, there
2: they're, there were some glitches with them. There were some issues. The
0: Vector Threes though are great. Yeah. But that's a road pedal. Yeah. It's not a mountain bike pedal. Yeah. So uh, depending if you have road shoes and you can use that, that's fantastic. Um, now coming down there, and the, you also have power tap P1s. Those are other power pedals, and then there are a couple other options that you can do. But honestly, for power meters. Uh, Outside of pedals, I can only recommend because I've used a ton of them, and the ones that I found that work best are Quark, Stages, Rotor, Power 2 Max. Mm. Um, Those are basically the ones that work really well, and like we said, Garmin and PowerTap is good, I guess, too, but all the small fringe brands, uh, I've seen variable stuff with. So. But the problem is you don't have a whole lot of power meter options or sorry, mountain bike options. Yeah. You have cork or you have stages or you have race face these days and those are about it. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. So, um, but that may be changing in the next two years. There's been talk mountain pedals that Mm -hmm. are
2: power based. Um, one of the things though, see, and I just went through this with the, the guy, uh, a friend of mine that bought my 2015 Jekyll team back mm-hmm. in the day, he wanted to start using Trainer Road. And we priced out getting a rear wheel,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he's on Eagle. So, rear wheel, Eagle cassette, smooth tire, trainer, and a power meter. Yeah. And by the time we priced it all together, we decided to just go buy a Shimano Claris equipped $800 road bike. Yep. And put it on a trainer. Yeah. It was the smartest way to do it. It was actually cheaper to do it that way.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. I think that's a really good way to train Is just find a used road bike or a cheap new road bike. That, yeah. I mean, bottom end road bikes a lot of the time from bigger brands like Cannondale, Trek, or Specialized, like they one of these down big ones.
2: Six, seven hundred bucks yeah. retail. Yeah. And they,
0: they have Tiagra, but they have 10 speed on there a lot of the time. And it's like, Tiagra shifts great. Yeah. Sora shifts great. Like yeah. it's all good. Like bottom line sram stuff that's like that it shifts great. Yeah. So absolutely. Um you don't have to like and then you have a road bike that you can tool around on and, and be a roadie for a while. And that's exactly. yeah.
2: Strangely you can go leave it in front of bars downtown and it could be your bar bike.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That too. So yeah that's what I would recommend. Um it's and and I like a regular trainer. I don't. I think that smart trainers are, are. for a lot of people, they think that that's the only way to get a positive trainer experience. But I disagree. It's not. I think that the ro- c- the kinetic road machine is the best feeling trainer there is, bar none. It that's feels better have. than I've, any other I smart love trainer. That trainer. Yep, yeah. better than any smart trainer. You just don't get resistance control, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you get with like an app like Trainer Road. But you but, have gears. That's you resistance have gears control. Gears and you can change your cadence, man. Yep. That's what yep. you do. So.
2: And I will say that even with with smart. Uh, smart trainers. Um, a friend of ours up in Susanville has been using his specialized Epic on his Wahoo kicker Mm -hmm. and he's running into issues where he physically can't put out the wattage because he runs out of gear. Like he can't get the resist. Like it's can be hard. It's when he's in ERG mode. Yeah. Things are just not working correctly.
0: And that's, there's like smart trainers introduce layers of complexity. Yeah, A lot of the time, if you have a low wattage floor, Meaning that like, let's say you're a really small person. So, you know, you wouldn't have a huge FTP because you're tiny and you don't need a a lot of power to push your tiny body up a hill, right? So in that case, you're probably gonna have an FTP of, you know, some people have them around 100, right? Really low, relatively speaking, but power to weight might be plenty fast. But the problem is a lot of those smart trainers, they are not made to go below, you know, 80, 60 Watts is like as low as it can go. So if you have rest intervals that are going to be around there, it might actually, depending on the gear you're in, it might actually kind of hold you above that and you never get to fully rest. Um, I don't think n- nobody has the problem of just it's, I'm just too strong and and I max out the trainer. Well, that doesn't speak happen. for yourself. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it can pose a problem that, that we see with people with that. So yeah. gearing affects it, all that stuff. So I vote go with a kinetic road machine and then I would say, go with a stages, uh, because you may even be able to put the same crank that you have on your mountain bike on your road bike and switch that over. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say. Get a stages power meter and then get a kinetic road machine. It's an easy setup. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Alexander. He says five stars without a doubt. Thanks. He says you cover all the disciplines I'm interested in. My question relates to how long you would stick with a frame or manufacturer, despite multiple warranty claims. I've just cracked my fourth. Oh boy. Fourth Canyon strive in 18 months and it's getting tedious. I have a five-year warranty though. Now, weren't we discussing how noodly that bike felt when it first came out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When it, and it's, there's a new one now and it's, yeah. it's changed. Um, but yes, the previous gen. Yeah. One. Yeah. 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 He says, I love the bike with the shapeshifter and it's transformed some of my race results. However, would you run with the replacements Canyon send or Canyon sender? I guess he's what he's getting out there. Or should I sell up when I get a new frame back? Put this into context i break most bikes and parts i own including my Lynx or linsky gt sanction and zasker in the past couple of years i weigh 250 pounds in race enduro and xc rate placing second in a regional series of the win too my asr7 is the only bike i can't kill
2: well your asr7 is the beast but that thing's like the Sherman tank of yeah bike. yeah
0: that thing does not go away no um you know so honestly if the experience is if the 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 warranty claims aren't causing anything that's dangerous if it's just a minimal thing and Canyon's supporting you uh, build a good relationship with them and i don't see any problem with continuing that but that's once again as long as it's not dangerous yeah i don't know what type of problem is happening with the frame exactly you know
2: um worst case scenario i mean he can go with brands like evil like they overbuild their bikes Yeah. You know, evil overbuilds their bikes. Transition is known for building a tough bike. Yeah. And, you know, you could get your next replacement and sell the bike off and go with something else. But it just depends on what bike fits you, what bike fits your riding style and what you feel best on. Yeah. So you have to really just get out there and ride some bikes if you're even thinking about changing. Yeah. So,
0: you guys, I mean, you sell complete bikes and custom builds mm-hmm. for people. Is there a specific brand that you feel like you have seen like no warranty issues, it's outstanding durability?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you just said, Stephen, Evil and Transition are pretty notorious for overbuilding their bikes, which is awesome. Yeah. And I don't think we've ever seen—I mean—a warranty. I think, I think we've maybe seen one Evil that's come through that was not a warranty; it was a crash replacement. I mean, that's what happens if you knock—you know—crash your bike and hit it on a rock. But yeah. Evil and Transition make just brutally strong bikes. So yeah, there, there's brands out there that purposely overbuild stuff because they're made for that type of rider, and yeah. they don't want to deal with those warranties. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That
0: makes sense. Next one uh, says I'm riding a 2016 Yeti SB5, love it. Got a GX cassette on a DT Swiss hub. When I had to replace the cassette, I had a hard time screwing in the cassette and aligning it onto the hub splines. The force required me to thread, it, or the force required to thread it on, was hard from the beginning and very hard to tell if I was aligning it or not. Is there any tip on how to assemble this in an elegant and safe way? Thanks in advance tall from texas
2: well they're always really hard to get on they do take some force but you're not going to get that thing on crooked and let it keep going so the shimano uh freewheel tool that you actually have to use Mm -hmm. self centers Mm -hmm. on a 12 mil axle yeah so it centers itself so there's no physical way you can have that tool on and get it crooked because the threads are so far away from where you're putting that tool on it would have to be yeah. Really crooked. Yeah. So the fact that it's hard to get on is normal. Those yeah. threads are that way. They put this really strong gray, it's it's a gray Loctite type material. Yeah. It's it well. It's not the anti seize. They have the anti seize, but under that there's also uh, oh, there's actually right. a harder yeah, yeah. threaded mm-hmm. in the threads. There's this harder plasticky Loctite material. Mm.
0: I don't I don't think they had that on the very first cassettes, and they creaked a lot. They did, and then they changed that, and then you I, you quit getting creaking because I got one of like the first XO one cassettes, yeah. and that thing creaked like crazy, mm-hmm. and I got it warrantied, and then I noticed it was much harder to put on.
2: Yeah. And so that's, um, so they're supposed to be hard to put on. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to spin that thing on and get it tight and have everything line up correctly. If you were cross threaded, there's no way. Oh yeah. So yes, yeah. it's, they're hard to get on.
0: Yeah. Um, and they're, they're a little bit different for those that don't know how to, with an XD driver, um, and using one of the cassettes that works with that, whether it's like SRAM or E 13 or anything like that, it's a unique system in the sense that the cassette just comes in one piece and then you put that sucker on and then it actually just has a threaded sleeve in there. And that's what threads on
2: threads are all the way at the base at the, the 50 tooth cog, yep. not out at the end, like a normal Shimano free hub where it's inside the free hub body. It's a really clever way it's to very do. different, I but yeah, like, it's very yeah. clever.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, all right, let's rip through just a couple more here. Uh, next one is from Bobby. And we have a lot of questions to get to. We have hundreds. Had. Yes. <laughs> um, but We won't get to those today. Uh, next one's from Bobby. He says, absolutely love the show. You guys are awesome. My question is, I just recently purchased a Yeti SB5 My Dream Bike. It was a demo from a Yeti dealer in Colorado. It's three months old and comes with a full factory warranty on the frame. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on buying a demo. He says, keep up the tremendous work. Love you guys.
2: I love buying it I love the idea of a demo bike you get a full warranty on a bike that you just paid 30 40 you know percent less than retail for
0: maybe limited time warranty but yeah yeah
2: but but that's it. the thing is all demo bikes and that's you know all demo bikes come with the factory warranty
1: and it's not it's the same warranty as if it was a
2: brand new bike
1: yeah what do you so. say
0: to that because you guys have demo bikes here
1: we do yeah and in, in both of our locations we are stocked with demo bikes and we sell them all the time um, especially at the end of the season and it's a great way to do it. You Like you said, you're getting a bike with a full warranty. All the demos we sell are full warranties and you're paying way less than retail. So it's, it's a good way to go. It does matter the condition though, right? I mean, buying a demo from a ski resort, no. that's a totally different <laughs> yeah. scenario. You yeah. know, like a lot of our demo bikes will go out of here with, I mean, maybe 200 miles on them and we maintain them like crazy. Yeah. and They'll have fresh bearings in them. Yeah. If anything gets scratched when someone's using it, we'll replace it. I mean, we're just maniacal about that mm-hmm. stuff and bleeding brakes, all of that. So so pay attention to the condition and the quality of the demo because all demos are not created equal. No. Some can be completely hammered and some can have 50 miles on them. So if you know what you're looking at, it's a great way to buy a bike. Yeah. I was shocked to see.
0: I thought that the bikes in the front were like showroom brand new bikes. Those were your demo bikes.
1: Yeah, most of them are demos. It's a combination of demos and new bikes, but yeah, a lot of them are demos. And yeah, they just they, look new.
0: They look brand new. I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: except for that team edition
2: SB six that that limit, that's not a demo bike
1: at <laughs> no, all. That's a new one. That's yeah.
0: brand new. Yeah. If it
2: was a large, I'd probably be running away right now with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that it's a bad idea at all. Just, uh, like you said, make sure that not all demo bikes are like, so make sure the condition's good.
2: Yeah. And the, and the beauty is you're really getting it for the same price you'd buy from, you know, Joe Schmo off of, off mm-hmm. of pink bike on a used one, but yep. now you got a warranty and you know, it was maintained properly. Yeah,
0: exactly. Next one's from Guy. He says, I'm having problems with stand sealant and spoke nipple failure from liquid getting under rim and into spine holes. He says, I have had this happen with new rims and factory installed or local bike shop installed tape as well as when I do the tape or the stand tape myself or stands tape. I think he means with that. He says, when I install the tape, my protocol is as follows. Number one, clean the rim completely with acetone or brake cleaner and dry. Number two, apply appropriately wide stands tape under some tension, always overlapping, sometimes two wines. So I assume what he means that is two full trips Layers around that up. wheel, right? Uh, then he says always, or forgive me, press down on the tape to be sure that it's, uh, to be sure a good seal happens at all borders and at end of tape. One thing I want to add, actually, I won't add that yet. We'll, We'll get to it in a bit. He says, then I use a sharp instrument in the valve hole, then, uh, plain preset. So then he pushes the valve hole into that Yeah. places, the tire with tube for a day or so to lock things down, remove tube and add stands ride. Um, so almost a
2: tubular method <laughs> it's a lot it of takes work today you know, yeah it's very guy's thorough. going
0: th- uh, he's clearly has a problem that he's trying to solve right he says the liquid gets under the ste- the seams where the tape ends or if i change a tire the bead sticks to the tape a bit and new tape is required I've recently tried spraying 3M Spray 77 on the er, on the rim before taping. Not sure if this helps, but I'm frustrated with corroded and frozen spoke nipples, and I can't true the wheels. Not to mention the stands, bugs rattling in the carbon rims. Those are called stanimals, actually.
2: Yeah, stanimals. They're yes. great. Yeah,
0: exactly. You can name your next one. Go ahead. Have fun with that. It says other than ghetto tubeless DIY split tube rim strips, which we can talk in about a bit. Is there a superior tape technique?
2: Can we? so most of what his answer is going to be is my tip for late. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most. So
2: I'm going to cut in on something cut in on some stuff and we'll, we'll okay. wrap back and forth here.
0: One thing he says that when he does the tape, he presses down on that tape to be sure that it seals at all borders. And at the end of tape, I don't know where you're pressing, but I see a problem that a lot of people do is they press down toward the spoke nipples like down there and then what it ends up doing is it actually ends
1: up lifting the, the tape edges off. flaring it up
0: yep and when it flares it up and then you put the wheel on it doesn't let it seal well and then you'll get leakage so what I do is I actually take like a Pedro's tire lever like a thick one mm-hmm. and the only spot where I press is just right where the tire bead is going to press on against the, the rim yep. I just roll that I just keep that pressed and then I roll it around the rim mm-hmm. that's all I care about because I'm just trying to make sure it gets pushed down into the spot it needs yes. to be but in the center the rim bed I'm not pushing down there yeah. at all because you're
2: already building that tension on it so it's going to fall into that into the actual uh the tire relief the rim bed on its own so it'll be fine
0: the other thing i was going to say is how are you putting on your tires into or your tires onto the rim Mm -hmm. a lot of the time i see people pop a tire on and then basically it'll be like partially hooked onto the bead on one side so then you really have to dig that tire lever in and really reef on that thing to get the other the top the other side of the tire all the way on and a lot of the time what you'll do is you'll just once again you'll dislodge that tape much better way to do it is to, once you get one side of that tire on, make sure it's in the center of it's the rim. It's in the drop
2: center. It's in yep. the lowest, smallest diameter part of the rim.
0: Yep. And then once you start popping the other side on, pop it on so that it's all the way into the center. Yeah. And it's going to get be way easier to put that tire on. You won't have to run so much force. Yeah. And the last thing I would add on that is also don't use junky tire levers even though they're dirt cheap just get pedros they work so well
2: and pedros are lifetime warranty too in case you guys didn't know they're lifetime warranty that's amazing
0: yeah yeah i've 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 never break those
2: things on like a weekly basis sometimes (laughs) but i've never
0: broken one yeah yeah I am i don't have four arms like you i guess so um or three arms yeah (laughs) yeah i have twos um so but in three m77 That should not be needed. No, you shouldn't need that. In fact, that's probably making things worse. Exactly right. That's what I would think too. So um, ghetto tubeless, for those that don't know, that's basically what you do is you take a tube, usually like a 20 inch tube, a smaller one. I guess you could use like a 26 on a 29. If you wanted to You use a smaller tube, you put that tube into the rim, just like normal, you have to stretch it over the rim since It's smaller. And then you fillet that thing down the center seam. So then the, basically, if you're looking at the tube, you cut it at the top. So then it just folds over the edges of the rim. You put your tire on, then you trim off the excess tube. That's flapping out there and then fill it with sealant. Friends don't let friends ghetto <laughs> too. It's not 1997
2: anymore. Yeah, you don't not necessary it. anymore.
0: Yeah. No, they burps a lot more, um, because you have that tube not allowing for a really good seal because these tires these days are neat are made to go with yeah. the rims and yeah. so you don't need to do it. So I wouldn't say that. I bet that it's something with the taping process is actually going too much. I agree. Could and, there be a problem with and before you jump into that cause that was a really good transition and I screwed it up but could there be a problem with acetone or brake cleaner that he's using on perhaps like stripping anything? No acetone
2: maybe, but like brake cleaning. See the thing is most rims are hard anodized anyway, so they're not going to have an issue with any sort of chemical like that. But I just, you you should really just be using like 91% isopropyl alcohol. That's the only thing you should mm, use. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to cause any issues. Stop using stands. Um,
0: you don't like it? Oh, uh, They changed it. They've changed we it, yes, this. but they've it's still
2: not good. Um,
0: <laughs> we'll find out. It's I not as used it good.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, not as good as Orange Seal, and then Finish Line has their new um, sealant that just yeah. came out that people are raving about. So
0: everyone's got their own sealant these days. Yeah, it's kind of silly. <sighs>
2: yeah. Um,
0: so because I'm, I'm in one way, I'm kind of fed up with Orange Seal because I'm so tired of clogged valve stems. So tired of it. Yeah. Okay. Like orange seal works as sealant <laughs> very well. Well, it seals the valve course, yeah. too, but it seals right. that hole <laughs> yeah. and it drives me nuts, man. Like i like you use a floor pump and you're like, okay, I'm going to press down. Then I'm going to wait for three seconds while the pressure normalizes once more and I can check. Yeah. It's really annoying. And then if you have like, if you're trying to then blow r- like tires onto the rim, yeah. if, even with the, the compressor, core, yeah. you have to remove the core a lot of the time yeah. because it's, it's all clogged up. Yeah. So I mean it, uh, from what I've heard, Stans did actually like, so Keegan Swenson was telling me this and he's sponsored by Stans, So there's your grain of salt, but they just had like a camp that they were at and they went over it and Stephen or and Keegan was telling me, I didn't know that I was putting in sealant wrong. I didn't know that I was doing all of this stuff. Like there's it, like they they've put a lot of, research into it now okay i feel like the stuff that they have i need to try it again because before i'd sworn it off but i need to try it again okay because they might have something different okay but you have i think a better solution than just the sealant and
2: so listen we'll get into it and get into it yeah
0: have you seen any problems with this like with leaking and 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 not necessarily maybe the corrosion because that's probably the after effect of the problem but have you noticed a, a, a solution to a problem like that
1: yeah, that one's tough. I think it it does boil back down to what you already mentioned. It's making sure that the edges of the tape are pressed down perfectly because mm-hmm. that's really what matters. And then when you install the tire, make sure that when you're installing the tire, it's not just peeling up the edges of the tape because then your sealant's going to go right in and cause a problem he's having. So yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I feel your pain. It's frustrating. The worst part is when you're trying to get it to seal and then it's leaking out the tape and you just hear the air leaking out and it won't seal. Yeah. And you just don't know what to do with your life. So you're looking for a bridge at that point to jump off of, uh, with that, uh, Steven, that covers the questions for today. Uh, I say we start to talk bike shop stuff, worldwide cyclery stuff.
2: Let's business is business. time.
0: All right. So we've already taken up a lot of your time, Jeff, um, you're CEO of a busy company, so I, we don't want to take too much time up. Um, but <clears throat> something we want to cover with you, we talked about this in one of our first episodes, Stephen, bike shops. Yeah. Um, and that conversation resonated with a lot of you. We talked about the woes of the ineffective bike shop. <laughs> a lot of us have experienced, you know, then you show up and and it's a less than, than, than favorable experience. Um, but I want to talk about how worldwide cyclery fits into this and kind of the the bigger picture and where you see things going. Um, You may not be right. We may not be right, but it's just what we think and where things might be going. Um, So first of all, in your mind, Jeff, why do bike shops suck? I know that's kind of a big question, but why do
1: they suck? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's definitely a big question. I think you know, in, in the old days, let's say 80s, 90s, it was a lot simpler. Bikes were just simpler machines they weren't as complicated to work on there wasn't as many different types of bicycles so a bike shop you know could do a good job at kind of servicing all of that because they just wasn't as complex of a product and there wasn't as many of them as mountain bikes and road bikes evolved things got a lot more technical especially with mountain bikes and suspension and you know hydraulic disc brakes all of that and then it became very hard for a bike shop to sell a beach cruiser, a kids bike, mm-hmm. and also n- have the same person also tell you how to tune your suspension or how to bleed your hydraulic disc brakes. And yeah. it just became a lot of bikes and very complex and it was very challenging for them. And and I think that's kind of the reason why, you know, a one size fits all just doesn't work anymore, right? So a lot of bike shops you walk in and, and depending on who you talk to, it could be someone who's an expert in, you know, freestyle BMX bikes. And then, but, (laughs) but you're, you're a guy and you only ride $5,000 plus mountain bikes, and then it's the wrong guy to talk to. Um, So it it just, it became hard for bike shops to figure it all out. And a lot of them just weren't, on the learning curve that they should have been yeah. and they didn't find their niche and they kept trying to push this one size fits all that worked for them 15 or 20 years ago yeah. and it just isn't anymore and and that's what ends up that's that's why people have bad experiences they walk in as a mountain biker they get a bad experience because the shop you know does more kids bikes or you know general mountain bikes and not the type that he rides or vice versa. You know, someone could walk into one of our stores that has a beach cruiser and we're the total wrong place. Like we're very niched into the high end mountain bike scene and we'll very kindly tell people that there's two awesome local shops down the street that could fix their beach cruiser. And we're just not the shop for that. So I think that's, that kind of sums up probably why a lot of them, you know, get a, get a bad rap.
0: Yeah. Because, and now coming from the other end, Steven, you've um you've you've worked at and managed and obviously we've all experienced but you've worked at and managed a a bike shop that has to appease all of those markets yeah or at least is set up to do that Mm -hmm. and that that i and really from my perspective at least from what i've understood and you could and, and please tell me if this is wrong but it seems like the money for a typical bike shop not like worldwide cyclery that focuses on niche but it seems like the money is made more on like the the beach cruiser, that sort of stuff. But yeah. is that is that assumption correct? Is that
2: no? It's absolutely correct. You look at you know the the bike shop I used to manage was a, a Raleigh dealer, Cannondale, Pinarello, Yeti, and I think I'm forgetting those brand, are those
0: are like high end. So, I mean, Raleigh isn't high yeah. end typically, or at least assumed that it's high end. But yeah. those are high end brands. Yeah. So we
2: could sell an eight thousand dollar Yeti or ten thousand dollar Pinarello all day long, but what we really did is. That shop would sell three to four a day sometimes of Raleigh's $520 seven speed beach cruiser, you know, type. It's, it was called the venture. Yeah. We sold so many of those bikes that you make a little bit of profit, but when you sell that many of them, that's where you make your money.
0: So it's tricky, but then you were tied. You're, you're like bike shops many times are then stuck though, because they, those customers probably don't come back a whole lot, right? They buy the beach cruiser. They check it off the list. They're kind of done. Yeah. But then it's hard to serve that other end of the market that's more high-end.
2: Which is really what I kind of brought when I came to that shop. I really got hooked on the high-end stuff. And I really started focusing on, you know... Learning that product and just catering to those customers, and I kind of built that up. In fact, I still do most of the the custom stuff at that shop. Yeah, I still yeah, do still a lot get, of the high yeah, end on bike you don't stuff. Even work there. Yeah, I don't even collect a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I order parts for my bikes, and the yeah. shop pays for those parts when I need yeah. parts. But beyond that, like, I don't get a paycheck. But I still kind of service that customer because I grew that. Yeah. customer base in that shop so
0: yeah do you th- do you guys feel like that's the direction that we see bike shops going like diversifying in that respect and specializing Do you think that's going to be like common that you'll just like the traditional bike shop will be like the beach cruiser the entry level stuff
1: the kids bikes yeah like do
0: that. you see that happening
1: yeah I, I think so and i'd like to think a lot of the reason why you know we've had success as a as a company as a bike shop is because we, I, I kind of saw the future of it like that. I thought that, you know, in a lot of industries, but in bikes specifically, you're gonna have shops that specialize. And when you specialize like that from a local footprint standpoint, you're probably not gonna make enough money to stay in business. Mm-hmm. But if you specialize like that on a local standard and you also play online, mm-hmm. then you can keep your doors open and run a profitable enterprise. And and that's what we've done, right? Like we've kind of, my background was high end mountain. We've stuck towards the high end mountain stuff. and, and and we love it and we're good at it and that's what we do. And that's what we do locally in both of our stores and what we focus the most online. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, as far as retail stores go now, you know, I don't, I don't think our store would stay in business if it was just the local thing, right? Cause there's, Couldn't. There's, oh, yeah. there's not enough, you know, local high end mountain bike riders anywhere to keep the doors open at a place. Um, but on the internet, there certainly is plenty of people. So exactly there. And with social media
2: where it is now, it's, it's really easy to get your name out there mm-hmm, or it's yeah. a lot easier than it used to be. Sure. So, yeah. Y-
0: yeah. Like, uh, drives me nuts whenever I see like on, on, on Instagram accounts and people like citizen of the world, that's like, you know, or they say they're like from, you know, they have all these like aspirational bio, but in the, in the end, that's actually kind of true. So bless you hipster for that. Like we all are like, and we're all connected where we can talk to each other. We can see what's going on and we can we can find bike parts that we need. We can find education on what parts we need. We can do all of that stuff and we can order those parts and have them show up to us. So like in terms of being like local, yeah, like you said, it's all around the world. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so I want to talk about this because not a lot of people know who worldwide cyclery is that listen to this podcast, tens of thousands of people listen to it. I'm sure that they haven't all been to worldwide cyclery. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to make this I want to be clear that like, like this Um, I don't want this just to be like a situation where, where all of you are listening or thinking that this is just like a boring advertisement. I actually want to understand why you guys do this. You mentioned that your background came in bikes and and all that other stuff, but is that, um, do you, what do you do to enforce that? Because I know working at trainer road, like we have to definitely work on the, the culture and making sure that people stay focused on that and enjoy riding and or locked into that. That's like a part of what we do. Like. How do you make sure that that bike side of things stays alive in your company? Because I see a lot of local bike shops where you go in and the owner doesn't even ride bikes anymore.
2: There's a bunch
1: of them in Reno that are that way. Yeah, sucks. Shops like that, yeah. yeah. How do you maintain that? You know, I think uh, it boils down to just who you hire and what your aspirations are as a business. So my background of riding and racing and just being a passionate cyclist of all kinds, and and I love that. And that's a part of me and will always be a part of me. And I also, you know, grew this incredible passion for business when I was in my late teens and early 20s. and
2: Selling all your friends' stuff on eBay. Exactly. <laughs>
1: and, uh, and I just wanted to put my two favorite things together. You know, I love business, and I, and I loved... I love selling things that I believed in. When I worked in a local shop as a teenager, I loved selling bikes that I knew were gonna make people happy. Mm-hmm. And that mattered to me. Like mm-hmm. I think bicycles are a powerful thing because you ride them and you smile and it makes your life better. Yeah. And if I can be in a business where I sell a product that I know enriches my life and I know by selling it to someone is gonna enrich their life, yeah. um, that's amazing, right? And I mean, it's it's funny to say, but bicycles do that, right? And everyone listening to this episode is likely a rider. and, and and they know that feeling. And and I love being in an industry that, I can support that and I f- get that feeling myself and how we keep that here in the culture is it's it's embedded in our culture. So if you go to our website and you scroll down to the footer, there's an about us page, check that out. It shows you our company mission and it's got seven reasons why we're here, why we actually do this. That's on the background of every computer in the company. Um, huh, like and, and people have those seven whys, people, any new hire has to memorize that and then recite it in front of everyone, nice. um, which ends up being really fun and a lot of heckling <laughs> yeah. applications. Time and then they get 20 bucks for doing it. So nice little incentive there. But yeah, we hire people who love bikes. And, and as we grow, not everyone here is gonna be the craziest, passionate cyclist. Um, we're lucky enough that, man, I think 95% of the people are all total bike riders and they're, they're passionate and they love it. So, so that's fun. And, and reminding people of that, making it clear why we're here, why mm-hmm. we're doing what we're doing and, and why that matters. And you know that, that resonates with a certain group of people. And those are the people who come in here and see it and go, wow, I wanna work here, I wanna be on this team. You guys are awesome, let's do this. Yeah. So you just gotta find those people.
0: I noticed something interesting, like when we walked in here, because it is like a local bike shop, and or it is a bike shop like that you can come and you can buy stuff at, mm-hmm. right? But in in the end, what you guys are and you're an online retailer, and that's where yep. your, your focus is. But like it, there it wasn't guys just sitting back and and talking about you know which beer, which which local brewery they like the best, and then talking about the local bike race that was going on or something else. There was a lot of like honest, hard, focused work going on
2: until they saw the donut box. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you, you threw a wrench in this. Did. That's distracting you? for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep.
0: Um, but like, even like when we showed up, like there were friendly waves and smiles, but then like back to work. Yep. Like I, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Like, because that's the the one thing that frustrates me a lot of the time is I look at these bike shops and I think, man, you could be really good. Like you could be great if you cared. Like that's all you got to do, man. (laughs) You just got to care. Like you got to just push a little more. Like if we didn't care about this podcast, it would suck and you wouldn't listen to it. Right? Like, so I think that that's something that's, that's unique that I noticed at least is like, and we went back into the fulfillment area. We went into the bike shop and repair area or the, the new assembly area. We went into the customer support area where we saw people working there all over the place and everyone is working hard. And it seems like they are passionate about that. And to me, that's cool. Like, I don't get like I know of like big online retailers that like the bike thing, they are not passionate about bikes at all. What they are is they're a logistics company and then they happen to have another one that sells saddles and then another and then when I not bike saddles, I mean like horse saddles, and then they'll sell like like disinfectant creams or something.
1: And yeah, then they back, also back is a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> everything <laughs> under the sun, yeah.
0: Yeah, they don't care about bikes. And I think that we should support more companies that care about bikes. Um just because then that I mean it, it helps all of our worlds go around that are listening to this. Yeah. So um where do you think coming down the road, what do you see happening to the brick and mortar bike shop versus the online shop? Do they disappear, the brick and mortar ones? Or what purpose do they serve?
1: I don't think so. So I think brick and mortar business is just a competitive environment, right? And and, and as the world evolves, you, businesses have to get better, or they go out of business. Just like a just like a restaurant, if the food is bad and the service is bad, you're not going to last. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing with local bike shops. Yeah. And some brick and mortar retailers are doing a phenomenal job. Um, Mike's Bikes up in Northern California. They yep. have several locations. Phenomenal. They're great, right? Yeah. I mean, there's Eric's right out in the Midwest. There's certain what you could call now regional retailers. Mm-hmm. And those guys are doing well and they understand how to provide an amazing in-store experience and cater to the crowd that's in that local environment. And I think they're gonna do great as far as being brick and mortar retailers. Um, I think the uh, some of the old mom and pop ones that don't learn fast and mm-hmm. that aren't treating their customers well, they're, they're screwed because they're, they're competing against great business players like you know the Mike Spikes out there and those other good regional local brick-and-mortars. And not only that, but now they're competing with very sophisticated online players as well. So it's just becoming more challenging. So if you're an amazing brick-and-mortar retailer, you're going to do just fine. If, if your business is rock solid, you're going to do great. Um, it's just, The ones that are bad, they're just going to fade out. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of evolution.
0: Yeah, I feel like the bar has been raised a bit in these days just because totally. our communication has increased so we're able to share experiences very easily mm-hmm. with yelp and yeah. and then forums and just you talking to your friends no matter where they are you don't have to be with them to talk to them right yeah. and all of that i feel like he's just like raised the bar for every business like you have to be up high absolutely and like i guarantee you that you see the same thing from like feed stores. I don't know. I don't know anything about that that industry. Horse right? tack. Yeah, like horse tack and feed. Right. <laughs> like I guarantee you that a lot of them are saying, "Oh, this stupid internet thing is hurting us." Right. Yeah. Like uh, I genuinely, this is this blows my mind. at Innerbike, I think for three years in a row, there was a talk every morning. And really, what they're doing is they're appealing to their audience. This isn't Interbike's fault, but they had a talk in the morning before Interbike, and it was like on the second day of every year, and it was how to manage the internet. And it was approached from the angle of like, this internet thing is ruining our bike shops. What do we do? Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was crazy to me. It was like, you're basically like all sick and they're saying like, here's penicillin right here and it will heal you. And they're like, what do we do about this terrible penicillin? Right. Like, like, but in the end I guess it's not like you said, it's really just about being passionate and providing good stuff from the, from the get go.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, Um, I'm a big Jeff Bezos fan just because I like e-commerce and he's an incredible businessman and and, uh, you can hate him or love him all you want. Uh, He's the CEO of Amazon, if you didn't know. Small he, company, yeah, small company, little company, Amazon, yeah, yeah. out of South America, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He has a a famous quote because I mean he got the brunt of all of this, right? I mean he was he's the retailer that's destroying the whole you know global economy. And one of his things was he just said complaining is not a business strategy, and I and it's, <laughs> it's that's it's, not. it's harsh, <laughs> that's right? Solid. It's very harsh, yeah. but it's so true. And it's the same thing in the bike world, right? I mean you can complain about in the internet all day, but it's here to stay. It's amazing, it's sophisticated. People can buy products on there and that's great. Mm -hmm. And you can either join the club and learn how to use the thing, or you can, you know, not use it and become an amazing brick and mortar retailer. I mean, there's other ways you can go, but you have to adapt and evolve and, and business changes and it gets harder. You know, back in the old days, there was, um, you know newspapers that had listings for cars and bikes and all that, yeah. and, and and couches, it's and then big nickel, and then all of a sudden here comes <laughs> so that was the
0: paper I used yeah. to get
1: back in the day. It's like now yeah. here comes Craigslist, right? I mean yeah. the whole publishing industry wanted to murder Craig mm-hmm. because he was ruining everyone. <laughs> I mean he dis- he disrupted the market, right? But yeah. I mean if he didn't do it, somebody else would have. It's just the evolution of business and the evolution of commerce in general. So you yeah. can you can keep pace or you can fall behind. It's your choice.
0: The interesting thing that you that you guys have going here. And, and like the, I remember when I first met you, Steve, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have met this guy so long ago because you knew so many of the questions that I had about bikes, like, and I couldn't find a person to answer them. Um, and, and it really, number one, I wasn't looking hard enough online. Mm -hmm. I should have been looking harder online. But then also number two, when I first started getting into it, it was nowhere near as mature now. Like there were not YouTube videos that were getting put out by like you guys Mm -hmm. about the topics that I was wondering about but you are like very few and far between a person that rides passionately and understands a lot of different things, not just like your own personal experience. Right. Okay. Um, and that's a huge value that a shop needs to have, I think. And you guys have managed to assemble a bunch of people like that. And that's like, like we were, we were in back in the parts area talking about all the. we were talking about internal components of the fork. And we were talking about bushing spacers and how nice it is to have them organized. So then you can find that specific bushing spacer for that specific shock and like getting very bike nerdy mm-hmm. and everyone kept pace. Like it, it was not, it's, it's not a situation where we have a guy that just does not understand bikes at all. And that's something that I think is, cuz the the downside if you have an online retailer that's just really good at shipping packages and and then using some type of content management system to put up a bunch of products on a store but they don't know any they don't know anything about bikes mm-hmm. then you also have a problem because how are you going to answer the support questions how are you actually going to help these people get what they need right so that's something, just a, a pat on the back to you, like mm-hmm. between Thank the you. YouTube videos that you guys do, which are, I don't know how you make so many. So, cause I, I was expecting to see like multiple videographers and like editors going on back there, but a ton of YouTube videos. And then you guys have a lot of written content on your blog that, that accompanies those videos. So mm-hmm. then when you have more questions, you can find written things with links and everything else. That's the type of stuff that we need. Like we're all hungry for information and we need it. So it's a good spot because this is it.
2: about this is how you take that being an excellent brick and mortar and you hybrid hybrid it into internet yeah, exactly capabilities. Right. You get a broader base, you get more customers and you help, you know, be their expert.
0: Yeah. the principle is yeah. still the same. Absolutely. You're the expert and you're passionate about it and you care about it. So. Um, yeah, man, I, I think that it's, it's awesome what you guys are doing here. It's a, it's a small production house from what people probably think, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you guys are this like massive company with like, you know, uh, I should say like nameless faces back there. Yeah, That's yeah. not the case. And at they all.
2: don't drive like little electric tote cars around to pick <laughs> yeah. everything. I was really like not impressed by that. I wanted to ride one of those today,
0: <laughs> but it's, it's a small shop, mm-hmm. yeah. meaning that also when you support worldwide cycler, you're not supporting some big giant where it's just a drop in the bucket and they don't notice it um in this case it's a it's a group of how many people are in the company
1: Uh, about 20 right now
0: 20 people in the company and you guys are growing rapidly from what i understand yeah so um but it's it's a small it's a small operation for now so when you're supporting them like you're a part of something and it's pretty cool so i'm
2: and the ceo drives a tacoma yes not anything crazy he's very modest good man i think very good man he rides his bikes. I think you're supporting a good company here. Yeah, so, yeah, the, yeah.
1: The bike industry is great. It is not a crazy industry full of profit. So <laughs> yeah. I, I will probably yeah. keep my Tacoma for a long time. <laughs> yeah. If I'm still in the bike industry, that's a Tacoma, um, so you'll be able to keep it. For that's a long right. Time. Exactly. It'll be good. But yeah, my, my passion. I love bikes. I love business. I run. I love running an operation that kind of levels up the game in the bike industry. And yeah, it's it's fun to me to have a company culture of people who really enjoy their work environment, who they're around all day. And then we're supporting customers that are having an incredibly fun time riding bikes. That's that matters to me. And then the fact that we're doing a good job at supporting those customers and answering their questions and providing valuable content for them. I mean, that to me is what makes me happy inside and yeah. smile because that's the game of business. And when you're you're doing it good and you're doing it in an industry you like that's 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 a win win heck yeah
0: perfect i'm gonna um end up this part of it then we'll get into the tips but just with a few questions what is the product that has sold the most do you know and you don't have to have the answer just from your impression what thing have you guys sold the most you know it's (laughs) out of everything (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: well honestly I, i don't know off the top of my head because i don't yeah, I'd have to look. It's it's the it just changes every year. Yeah. So that's what happens, you know. It's it's uh, Eagle Drive Trains are the hottest, the latest and greatest things. I mean, just recently Finish Line sealant, um we can't even keep that on the shelves. People really? are just wanting to try that and it's just flying out the door. Huh. Um which is cool. You know, Finish Line made a great product and people are already testing it and falling in love with it and so it's just it's all over the place. I don't I don't know what single product sells the most because yeah. it changes every year when the evil the following came out that was like we never sold so many bikes ever it was crazy and just yeah. we're constantly custom building them um but then it tapers off right so you kind of have that bell curve of when a new product's released it's amazing you have the yeah. early adopters and the majority and then it kind of tables out and more competitors come into the space and so it's so it's it's an ever-changing thing which is what keeps it fun so
0: uh what I, you bet in the back, we saw TRP brakes. Mm-hmm. You said a lot of those are selling.
1: Yeah. TRPs crazy it crazy to me,
0: right? Because if you trust pink Bike, there's like a blue group and a red group. And they yell at each other all day about yeah. how great their ba- brakes are and how they'd never consider another one. Yet yeah. people are buying TRPs. So who are these, these traders that are going from Shimano or SRAM over to TRP, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you don't stand for anything. Libertarians. Um, that's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Stay out of my breaking. Um, so you're selling a bunch of TRPs. Um, you sold a bunch of those. Is there anything that is sold that you've been like, wow, I did not expect that to sell well, but it's been selling well.
1: Yeah. I mean, TRP is probably a good example <laughs> yeah. of that, right? There's yeah. there's definitely, you know, as as we've grown as a retailer, we see little things pop up and we're like, wow, people are people are taking a risk on that and, and that product's working good. Huh. Um, that MRP stage fork, that was an interesting one. When, when they came out with a fork, it was, even myself, I was like, MRP, like chain guide company, chain rings, like a oh, suspension fork. fork, what are you guys doing? Um, but it was a good product, you know, yeah. and it worked well and, and people were coming in and trying it and enjoying it. And yeah, TRP is another thing. Thing. they they put a bunch of money and investment and time into their mountain bike brakes this year and and people out there are, are trying them so so yeah, that's cool tires I mean, WTB at one point had this tire that was a plus tire but it fit in a regular size fork. so this was before a bunch of forks sort of fit plus tires the original two eight. Um, yeah, I think it was. What was yeah. the name of it you said? Bridger 2.8? Yeah. yeah. Uh, those things were just soaring. And I was like, who the heck is riding this? Like, who wants this? It Everyone. Just, it, ma- it made me, like, want to just call people's phone numbers and say, hey, what's up? Just want to know why you bought this, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, or no, so that was,
2: it was the Ranger 2.8. Sorry, Ranger, Ranger not the Bridger. Bridger's okay. a 3.0. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: But it was it was designed specifically to be a plus tire that fit in the, yeah. you know, the, the regular side, normal fork. Huh. Yes. Um, weird product, right? I mean, talk about a niche market, but when, like, 10 or 15 of them are going out a day. It's like, how, what, how is this happening? So (laughs) yeah, yeah, weird things pop up like that every now and then. So it's cool. There's, I think there's a lot in the industry, a lot of people who love to experiment and are the kind of early adopter crowd and like to try new and innovative products, which is awesome because we love trying that stuff too. Last thing I want to ask you
0: is how do you choose the brands you work with? Because you carry a a, a massive amount of brands over Mm -hmm. the top, but with the bike brands, it seems like you're more choosy. Perhaps. Yeah. How how do you pick those brands?
1: You know, for us, it's we care about uh, who makes good products, what brands resonate with us. And then there's a lot of other weird stuff that happens behind the scenes too. So, I mean, bike shops in general have, you know, just dealership sort of things like car dealerships. So Pivot's an awesome bike brand that we sell in our Pennsylvania store. We can't sell it in our California store huh. um, because there's another local longtime Pivot dealer, dealer nearby here, uh-huh. right? So Makes we would love to sell Pivot here. And then, you know, you have Pivot and even Yeti, right? Yeti says, can't sell Yeti's online. They're in store only. Um, We only work with Jensen and Competitive to sell bikes online for X, Y, and Z reason. And we're probably not gonna tell you the truth. I mean, who knows, (laughs) right? There's a lot of weird business stuff going on behind the scenes when it comes to bike brands. Whereas component brands are much more laid back. They're much more just everyone can sell our stuff, you know, do a great job at retailing it. Etc. Um, so, yeah, that's how that goes. And bike brands, too, like we wanna sell cool stuff, you know, we don't wanna carry yeah, unique bikes. Big, yeah, we don't wanna carry big brands. We like high end, rare boutique, like, just like you were saying, supporting small businesses, we like doing that with bike brands, right? Yeah. I feel much better riding a Yeti or a Transition or an Evil knowing that those are small, cool companies of passionate people who are building awesome bikes. Yeah. Whereas you look at like Trek and Specialized and sure, they have some of those people there, yeah. but they also have you know hundreds and hundreds of other people and they're just trying to push up numbers and people there wearing white collars that are just worried, looking at numbers on a sheet that don't even ride bikes. I mean, that's just not appealing to me. I'm, yeah. I'm more of a fan of these small boutique bike brands because that resonates. With me and the products are cooler.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, and it's cool to see you guys even carry open bikes. Yeah, those things are
1: beautiful. Talk about a boutique small brand. That's it right <laughs> there, right? Yep. So,
0: well, cool. With that, uh, let's close it out with our tips, gents. You don't care. They're counting on your tips to live. All right, Stephen. Uh, since you had yours, uh, already yeah, all ready to go, and then we had to cut it off. Why don't you start off with yours?
2: Uh, so this actually goes back to Guy's question okay. from uh, about the tubeless stuff. Yeah, the biggest problem I've never had, I've never had any of the tubeless tapes, whether it be Orange Seal or Stans or Revols or any of them. They don't have the adhesion. That there's mm-hmm. not. They don't stick hard enough. Right. They always fail.
0: Yep. If you're dealing with like a double down casing tire or something like that, that's really stiff. Even if you get it perfect. Yep. That thing can push
2: the tape off. Exactly. After two or three tire changes, Mm -hmm. that tape has to be redone no matter what, even with the best tape job.
0: And everybody loves taping wheels.
2: They do. It's the best. (laughs) Um, So honestly, what I've gone to at, you know, the shop that I used to run um, up in Reno, they still do this too. All I use is Gorilla Tape. So go to Home Depot or Lowe's and get Gorilla Tape in the two and a half inch wide roll. And you literally just take whatever your internal measurement of your wheel is. Mm-hmm. If it's a twenty nine internal, add four millimeters to it. Okay. Or no, sorry, add five millimeters to it. Okay. So go to thirty four millimeters width. Make a nice little cut with a razor blade. Yeah. And then you just start peeling that thirty four mil piece off. And you just same thing, tension all the way around, all the way to the edge of the um, the actual tire's bead seat. Okay. All the way to the corner and just one ra- wrap wrap yeah. around overlap at the valve stem you're not cutting up onto the bead no yeah. no i'm going up onto the bead you are i okay. always go on the bead shelf because you'll always peel it off yeah no matter what you, you do peel off. yeah so it'll make your tire changes a little bit harder on certain rims by mm. having the tape up in the actual bead seat yeah but it's the only way to get it to where you never have leakage issues you never have tape fail um Huh. I, I've never had it fold off. I've never, that's, and that's the only stuff I ever use.
0: It so. worked forever for me. It did. On the MVM50s that I had. So. Yeah, which,
2: which you awesome. constantly had issues with constantly. until I used Gorilla Tape on them. Yep. Which, if people don't know, that's what Envy supplies with. Well, mm-hmm. I think they're changing they're right changing now, now, but they used to only supply all of their mountain stuff with Gorilla Tape rebadged, you know, yep. under the Envy brand.
0: Yeah. Um, which cool. is
2: essentially duct tape. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's thinner duct tape, but it's stronger, and it stretches into the bead seat really well. It stretches into the drop center really well, so you actually don't ever have any issues with it.
0: Throw on that dollar store chrome. It's great, but blacked out Yes, it's a bro, exactly. bro Chrome. Um, so uh, the one that I'm going to share today that my, my tip is going to be a new helmet from POC that I've been using, doing um, embarrassing roadie things that mm-hmm. I won't get into on this podcast, but uh, the POC Ventral, mm-hmm. it's their new Aero Road helmet. And I know all of you, like there's some people gagging right now. Well, you shouldn't. Um, this helmet, if you are an XC rider or trail rider, that is okay with not having a visor. You know, I think that just XC riders should not have visors. Yeah. Anything else than that, stick with a visor. Uh, fashion faux pas. But agreed. Um, but if you're XC, you have free reign to not run a visor. Yeah. This helmet, I actually think, is the type of helmet you would want to use for Leadville. It would be the type of helmet you might want to use for epic rides like one like uh, Whiskey, mm-hmm. um, the Whiskey off road. That one is is fast, higher average speed that you would have. Basically the data behind this usually says that around 13 miles an hour aerodynamics have a a, a transition point or an inflection point at which they start to have more of an effect on your performance than they did at lower speeds. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you are the type of person that's going to be carrying 13 miles an hour consistently for a while on the bike, aerodynamics start to matter as long as you're not breaking, because then you're really not making those aerodynamics matter. So in this case though, that helmet it's designed to be more aero and it, they say it's 2% more aero than the octal. And I don't know how aero the octal was. I don't assume that it was very aero, so it could help you. But the best thing, holy cow, that thing is like putting an air conditioner on your head and it has less vents than the octal. And like, you don't
2: look like Princess Toadstool when you're wearing it. <laughs> yes,
0: this is true. Yeah. So it like it's it's they're they're they call it the Venturi effect. They're utilizing the, the Venturi effect, and they have a cam tail design on it to make it more aerodynamic, but also to allow the air to pass through the helmet quicker. Mm-hmm. Their concept is instead of making the air go over the helmet faster, Let's make it go through. We're also going to focus on making it go through the helmet faster, mm-hmm. and the benefit of that is that it actually cools you off. And most arrow road helmets, for those that don't know, if you're a nerd, that's trying to save time on XC like me, then you might use an arrow road helmet and you suffer in the heat. And if 75% of your energy consumption, when you're riding, your bike is going to cooling your body and a decrease in as much as like 2% or 1% or a fraction of a percent in that has huge exponential effects on performance. You should care about cooling. So like, I feel like the story with this helmet is arrow. But honestly i feel like the true benefit even though you'll have the aero benefit but the true benefit is cooling so if you're looking for a, a cool xc lid um and what take that for how you want it to mean but a one that will actually cool off your head i feel like this one is the coldest helmet i have worn so yeah It's cool yeah it's a cool one and it's smaller profile too than the POC, So if you're one of those people that worried about that then yeah, yeah. there you go so Jeff, do you have one
1: for us? Yeah, absolutely. So something that is fairly new to the market and uh, been an awesome product that we've been enjoying is the Cork ShockWiz. Mm-hmm. So it's a little suspension tuning device, mm-hmm. and it's, it's electric. It's electric. It hooks up to your phone via Bluetooth, and then it... Con- you zip tie it onto your your shock or your fork and an air valve from that connects to the actual air valve on your fork or your shock. And then once you Bluetooth it into your phone, you go for a ride and then it gives you feedback on all of your suspension settings. And it mm-hmm. gives you recommendations like, hey, you should change your rebound or hey, you're bottoming out too often, you should change your air pressure and here's what we recommend it to do. It's simple to use, a novice rider can use it. And one of the things I've learned of all these years being in the bike industry and especially now is that suspension on mountain bikes is confusing. Confusing. There's yeah. a lot of... There's
2: definitely some black magic to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of adjustments out there. There's a lot of different products out there and high speed and low speed and rebound and air pressure and tokens. I mean, all that stuff can be very overwhelming to someone. Mm-hmm. Even like a intermediate rider can still be overwhelming. I totally. mean, it's, it's confusing. There's a lot of stuff to it and, and the Cork Shock was, I think, dumbs it down a lot and it just makes it it, it helps you learn and it's fun to use, right? It's like mm-hmm. a fun, cool toy to play with and you could find a, a cool toy that, you know, helps your ride get better by Tuning your suspension better and helps you learn more about suspension, that's a win win. Um, yeah. So, yeah, toss that in and Google. It's Cork, it's Q U A R Q, and then Shockwiz. So, I'm going to do it you one Google better. Go to MTV out.
0: Podcast, click on the Worldwide Site. There you go. In the stop shop, and then <laughs> look it up on Worldwide Site.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: and, here's, and here's a pro tip for everybody who's like, I don't want to spend that kind of money on a Shockwiz. Here's what you do you buy the Shockwiz, yeah. and then you rent it to your friends for 50 <laughs> yes. bucks a pop. Ooh, that's Ooh, and the then pay, it. it
1: pays
0: for itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds like, That sounds like what you were doing when you were a kid, you're grinding, right? Steady yeah, grind. totally right, yeah. That yep. um, was little Jeff right there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Something that I would say with this too is, uh, so I, I, spent a lot of years testing suspension on the, in the motocross world. And I considered myself to be particularly good at it. I've still ran into situations with the mountain bike where I've been confused and a shock whiz would really help there. It may not help you if you feel like everything's dialed, but at the very least it could give you a confirmation because I felt like I had everything dialed on my suspension on my, um, yet on my ASR and guess what? It told me, yes, everything is perfectly in place. Yeah. So that was just nice to have that reassurance. So even if that's what you're planning on using, that's great. But yeah, for the beginner, it's hugely helpful. Awesome. So, well, cool, Jeff, thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you guys. And for opening your doors to us to come down here. Of course. Um, I think we have a lunch ride to do now. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll talk to you all soon. Have a nice day.